Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Eric Bruton. Thank you for tuning into my podcast today. On this show, I invite some of the most important and exciting leaders in wealth management and fintech to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. So why should you listen to this show? Well, my goal is for you to learn one or two ideas that will help you run a better business and or become a stronger leader. These shows have been a blast to do, mostly because of the great guests and the interesting conversations we've had. You can follow Can You Hold My Attention on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. It's always fun to have a successful advisor on this show, but it's even more fun and interesting to have an advisor who has defied the odds to reach success. But it's most enjoyable to have that advisor on my show just as she was named one of the top 100 advisors in the country by Barron's Magazine. Layla Pence and her Newport, California-based wealth management firm, Pence Wealth Management, is now a $2.4 billion firm riding a rocket ship named Growth, but all the while staying humble and extremely focused. It's got to be hard for Layla to stay humble given her remarkable success. She immigrated to America from war-torn Egypt when she was just 12 years old. We all know that breaking into and becoming successful in the wealth management industry as a woman is challenging to say the least. But Layla threw those challenges aside, let her natural-born tenacity and work ethic take over, and went from selling hot dogs as a non-English-speaking kid in New York City to becoming one of the most successful female advisors in the United States. She and her husband, Dryden, have built a firm that relies on a successful division of labor, on enhanced communication with clients and prospects, and importantly, on understanding how to effectively sell in this business. In fact, in my 30 years of working with financial advisors, I don't think I've ever seen such a masterful salesperson as Layla Pence. So it's no surprise to me that Layla is a Barron's Hall of Fame advisor and a best-in-state Forbes advisor as well. I was, however, pleasantly surprised that Layla was able to take time out of her busy schedule to join me on Can You Hold My Attention? Layla, it's very good to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. You know, I'm, I'm very honored. I must say I've never had on the show a Barron's Hall of Fame advisor. Been honored many times, I think, for the last 10 years running one of the top 100 women in the country. And uh, you just updated me. You're number 34 in the country now with Barron's in terms of wealth advisors. And that's just amazing. I'm, I'm very honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm been, I have been very blessed. Well, I know you got a good team, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, including Dryden, your husband. Um, and I want to jump into that. But, you know, I'm going to ask you, the first question I'm going to ask you um, is usually the last question I ask my guests, but I want to get it out of the way because I think this has a lot to do with how successful you are, how successful your firm is in your life in general. But what do you what do you enjoy most about what you do as a financial advisor, as a wealth manager? I really enjoy the moment when I change my clients' lives. When I, when I come to a point where 
I've definitely changed a life where I've made a difference. That is truly what keeps me going because it is having their faces and coming back year after year and letting me know that I've changed their whole life, that they've been able to retire where they didn't know if they were going to be able to retire or how they were going to retire or, you know, how are they going to put their kids to college? It's, it's really, we make such a difference and that's what keeps me going. You know, we, we, uh, here in the team, we, we all talk about, um, moments, you know, where are the moments were this week, where are the moments we actually made a difference. And, and it's just wonderful is what keeps us going. Well, some of those moments probably happen in the first couple meetings, right? I mean, you can, and oftentimes when people have struggles in their life financially or otherwise, that first meeting with you and you undoubtedly uncover some things they probably not thought of, you probably have that aha moment right away. Yeah. I mean, I had a client the other day that um, I just looked at their tax return and, and, you know, as I was talking to them, and they started telling me, you know, and I said, do you have that income? And they, it turns out that the CPA reported uh, income twice in two different places on the return. Mm-hmm. And I told them they should be able to just go right to their CPA. And I got back like $25,000. And that was just like, you know, it's not so much the money. It's just the fact that I, that I found that instantly. It was really it was just an amazing feeling, and I have to be very delicate with that because, you know, the CPA sometimes just doesn't get all the right information. So it's all right. these things that we do that really, um, these aha moments uh, that makes what we do so differently. It's, you know, in a, we have a Tuesday morning meeting, and every Tuesday morning meeting we ask everyone to say basically, you know, do we have any client appreciation and we share all the emails that the clients send us about, you know, what changed and how they thank us and what we did. And we, there's always every week we have some sort of a client that appreciates what we do. And we share that because this is what it's all about. Well, many people in this business know that performance, you know, investment performance, it doesn't often stack as one of the top five or maybe even top 10 reasons people stay with their advisors, why they like their advisors. And you just gave an example right there of a situation where you saved this person $25,000, had nothing to do with what happened in the market today or last week or last year. And those are Joe's just great examples of this trend in holistic wealth management, the focus on helping people well beyond investments. I'll give you another example. I had a client who happens to be a he was 68 years of age and he has a six-year-old son. So I was, I was talking to him and I said, um, well, how much does your son get from social security? He goes, what? I said, do you know that he's eligible for your social security? He says, no, no one has ever told me. And sure enough, I sent him right to the social security department. And then the very next Next day, I got flowers because his son, they gave him back six months. They couldn't go back the whole couple of years, right. but they went back actually six months and gave him what, as a beneficiary, his son as a beneficiary was owed. And then from this point on until he's 18, he's getting that money. So that, that, those are the additions of things that we, those are the aha moments. Those are the, the things that you live for. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it makes you not just sleep well at night, but put a massive smile on your face. 
Um, so let's, I, I know who you are, Layla, and I know a little bit about your background, certain your clients do, and some other advisors in this industry, but let, a lot of people don't know that you grew up in Egypt, uh, that you immigrated to the U.S. when you were 12 years old, I think it was 12, and uh, and now you're in, in one of the most successful people in the United States in wealth management. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Egypt and, and what led you to immigrate to the U.S., and then I'll ask you why you got into this business. Sounds good. Well, um, I lived in the Suez Canal with my family. We had beautiful villa with seven bedrooms and we had chauffeurs and maids. We had everything you can ever imagine uh, for upper middle class Egyptians. And until one day uh, we were sitting and having breakfast uh, very well. I remember it well. And we heard this horrible sound of that was the sound of, of air raids. Mm. And that was the beginning of the six day war. Okay. And uh, we left uh, our home in a hurry, and then we decided to go back um, a few weeks later to take some of the clothes and stuff that we left behind. And once again, we're in the home, and we hear this deafening sound again of the air raids. This time we're in a hurry. We're getting into the car. We're, we're driving away. And just when we're turning the corner, we heard boom. That was the sound of a bomb hitting the room I was in just five minutes before we left. Wow. And that was pretty much the end of my childhood. We lost everything. And uh, so we moved to Cairo, which was not, you know, the same way. It was crowded. It was everything. And my family decided to immigrate to the United States. And so a month before we were supposed to leave, my dad had a major accident and broke his leg in many different places. And so me and my mother, by ourselves, at the age of 12, not speaking a word of English, came to Staten Island, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, not We just had one friend. We had no family. Uh, there was no computers. There was no cell phones and no FaceTime to call back home. Cost a fortune. Right. Uh, I remember having to uh, take two buses to get to school. And we had to actually uh, move in uh, with a a Puerto Rican family in a two-bedroom home, apartment actually, and and I had to go to work on the Staten Island Ferry selling hot dogs and knishes. And, you know, so I really had, it was tough, you know, it was tough, there was no family uh, and, uh, you know, not enough time for any personal life um, because after working I had to study. So, but finally my dad came and then I got into college and came out here to uh, California to go to UCLA. And, but the whole time I was here, I was also waitressing. So I waitressed all through a college to help, you know, pay the bills. And um, in my last year of school, I met this gentleman that got me into the business. He said, you know, if, if you, if you could, do you know if you could be a waitress and you can work so hard and so forth and would you know you should try um, being in the financial services business. So I remember very well my first client uh, gave me twenty thousand dollars to invest, and I could not sleep all night long. I couldn't believe anybody would trust me with twenty thousand right. dollars of their hard-earned money. I had never seen twenty thousand dollars right. 
that was a fortune back then. And, uh, and that's how it started, you know, having someone just trust you and start, you know, and of course you have to hear a lot of no's, you know, it was hard back then. There was no like managed money. It was all commissioned. And, and I used to have to go to clients' houses to, to meet with them just to get them to give you any investments. You know, it was, it was very, very young. Most of their grandchildren were older than me. And uh, so I had to really inspire trust. And I, I think I worked really hard. I, I, I made sure and learned everything about taxes I could, any, everything about investments. I just felt that I had to uh, study twice as hard and, and know the details of everything I did so that I felt if I could... If I knew more than my clients, then I have a good chance of getting them as clients. So what, I mean, that's just an amazing story of, um, you know, from, from coming over to, to the United States, not speaking any English, persevering, being separated from your family. And, and, and as you, as you mentioned, all during a time where communication, like we know it today with iPhones and Skype and and FaceTime and all these things didn't even exist. Not to mention phone calls. I remember this being very expensive. Very. Guess, right. <laughs> I remember calling, I, I lived in Japan and calling my parents from Japan and f- feeding money into the machine all the time uh, back then. So it, it was very difficult. So did, did a lot of this have to do with how you approach wealth management and, and got into a business that obviously you hadn't been in before. I mean, what was the character trait that probably stood out the most for you uh, as you as you got that first twenty thousand dollar client and kept pushing on? It's really it was the idea that uh, you know that I can actually help people invest and help them make money. My dad was a banker, mm-hmm. so I've always been. I was always around. You know financial in that, stand, in that standpoint, but I had never done any investing on my own or anything like that and uh, until I, you know, I got into this business. But it was the idea of really that this is something I could do to um, make a difference in people's life and also help me as well. I remember, you know, my very first paycheck was was quite large and, and that certainly helped motivate me because it's a hard business to get into, especially back then. Right. You know, there was no, I mean, you basically had to ask your friends and, you know, I would talk to anyone that had a pulse right, right. now, you know, you know, you, you decide who to talk to. But back then you just, you went out there and you, I talked to everyone, you know, anyone that I can talk to about, um, you know, investing and, and so forth. And the market was not as popular as it is today. You know, people were always were worried and, you know, so, but I did more than the markets, you know, also did fixed investments and so forth. And so, but it was, I, I think the fact that I had to work so hard uh, all through high school and college uh, certainly gave me more of a thick skin to yep. withstand the the kind of things that you need to do today or back then, even more so, to succeed. Well, you also possess a quality that I have seen in very, very few advisors actually out there. Um, so you're not only a great financial advisor, but you're also an amazing salesperson. And I know I've told you that before. I've actually witnessed it. The first time I met you, you were talking to a prospect at a restaurant when I walked in 
And I said, hello. And, and I could just see you were in your element and these people were hanging on every word you were talking about. And, uh, and, and since then I've obviously recognized your sales ability just in your results. So did you have to work at becoming this good salesperson or did it just come naturally to you? You know, I, I remember one thing. I, I remember that it's, you know, long ago that it was really important to develop a relationship with that client before I, I start selling them. I call it pre-talk. Mm-hmm. I remember I really had to, you know, no matter when I talk to a client, they want to go right to the kill or they want to know what I do, but somehow I have to bring them back to learning about them is getting them to talk about themselves. Um, and I always remember uh, when I first started the person that kind of got me into the business, he, he'd always say, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you speak. And it's hard because in sales, you want to speak all the time, right? You want to tell the story. But I learned it's just the opposite. If you really want to get these clients, they also want to speak. And the more you get to know about a person, the more of a relationship that you develop. And that's really the most important thing about sales is to get to make that person in front of you feel like you truly care about them. And the way you do that is you get to learn about themselves. I mean, about them. You you get to hear about their stories and you get them to talk. One of my favorite uh, questions I always ask a couple when they come in, I always ask them, how did they meet? If if, uh, if they start t- talking to me about how they met, they start remembering, you know, that's always an exciting, right. you know, exciting thing when you first meet the love of your life or the one who's married to it. Now, that story, I'm sure they've told many times, but it brings back good memory. And I'm trying to bring back good vibes. And then it also helps me at that point in time really know more about them. And no one asks them that. And so it's one of the questions I still ask today of my new prospects or my new clients, how did they meet? Uh, that big CIs, it really gives me into the pre-talk and then allows them to talk about themselves. And and I don't know if it, it's something also you work at. I mean, I don't, I've never thought of myself originally. I was just, you know, I sold hamburgers and hot dogs, you know, or conditions. I mean, I, I never, you know, financial service is a different story, but it's really all about the people side of it. It's really getting people to feel comfortable getting them to talk about themselves. Uh, and then once I've done that, then whatever I'm offering them, it, they're going to do. Because, you know, uh, my husband Dryden always says one thing. He says, um, nobody makes a penny until somebody decides to buy. No matter what it is, you know, whether whether it's computers or whatever, nobody makes a penny. And, and sales is the number one paying profession in the world. And... Um, but you really, it's, it's something you have to work at. I've worked at it um, more and more over the years. I've developed and figured out what works, what didn't. Because not everybody that you meet, obviously, you you sell or they become a client. So I would always say, well, what did I do wrong? What, you know, what did I miss? And and try and and decipher that and come up with so I could do it better next time. Yeah. Well, one of the words you didn't mention, but comes with that communication and comes with listening and comes with the relationship is the word trust. Yes. And, and as Dryden said, they're not going to make a penny unless they, they do something with you and they'd have to trust you. You know, you talked about earlier too, is just early on in your career, you came across a lot of people and I'm sure a lot of them did not choose to go with you and they did not invest with you. 
And part of being a good salesperson is understanding that people are going to tell you no and not to get flustered by that and not to go off and get sidetracked. And I'm not going to say you almost want to hear the no sometime and enjoy it. It's not that, but you realize it's just, it's a means to an end. And so, it is. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you've come across that many times. Yes. I, I would say in order to be good in this business, you have to have a thick skin. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to, you know, there's going to be no's no matter, you know, how, how convincing or how good it is something. And you just have to go on. That happened yesterday. Okay. I learned from it. And you go on. I've heard a lot more no's in my life than I heard yeses, but it's the yeses that count. Yep. And it's the yeses that get you there. And that's something, you know, it's so hard to get down on yourself, especially if you take the time, you know, to did the plan and analyze and you think this is such a great thing for them. And they go, well, you know what? Thanks so much, but no. And you, and it just, you know, bothers you because you, you can't understand how they don't see it, but it happens and go on to the next person. And that's, that's how you succeed because if you dwell on it and that you never, you'll never, I mean, it's just, you lose confidence in yourself and you can't do that. No. In this business, it's, you know, you feel like you have to feel in your heart that you've done the best and it's their loss. So you move on. Yeah. And you fail early and you fail fast, right? I mean, yes. don't spend too much time on something uh, because there's plenty of prospects and plenty of clients that uh, deserve your time and, and are going to appreciate it. I remember when I first got it, uh, before I got into this business, I was interviewing with Oracle. Um, which is back then, that's where a lot of people from where I graduated went to, went to work for their first job. And this sales manager asked me the question, Derek, is sales an art or is it a science? And, uh, and I figured, well, I got a 50-50 shot at this. <laughs> so <laughs> I said it was an art. And he goes, no, it's a science. And he went on to explain that uh, you, know, you need to talk to 100 people to get 50 second meetings to get 20, 33rd meetings to get 10 people to sign up basically that, you know, that sort of science. And what do you, what do you think? Do you think it's an art or a science? I think it's a combination. I, I mean, I think, I think because a lot of people go through the same numbers, they don't still don't get results. And that same, same people could go through these numbers. They get much better results. Right. So it is, it really is all about that establishing that trust because it is disheartening to have to get to go to a hundred prospects to get to five, that's really hard to do. Right. You, you, you can get very disappointed. It's not like a batting average. I mean, I always think of baseball, have they, you know, a 400 or 300 hitter, but that's how I, you know, sometimes sales is like that. Yeah. You, you know, you more of a 300 hitter, you're going to go, especially in the beginning, you have to assume that you may get, uh, you know, a thousand hits. Uh, to get to make 300 of them so and then you could be a superstar right that's what and you know i'm a huge sports fan so (laughs) but uh i like to think of that so but i don't want to have a 150 batting average a 300 batting average is good yeah well the greatest hitter of all time i think uh ted williams batted 406 so four out of ten times he got a hit um in our business you if you know if you get a client four out of 10 times, you might think you're a bit of a failure. You know, what are you doing wrong? But, but, you know, like you said, you kind of go watch some 
if you're again holding on to this baseball analogy, you watch some video of yourself, you analyze what you did right. in the meetings, you think about what you might do differently, right? And, right. and that, yeah, because in the beginning, that's what you're going to be because you're young, you're not, uh, you don't have the experience. Of course, now, you know, we have a, you know, batting average is definitely, you know, very, very high. But in the beginning, you have to look at, sales as a batting average and that you know you're going to have these you have to hear a lot of no's before you get some yeses yeah and and it'll get easier if one advice i can i can give to new advisors is it will get easier but you have to keep at it you have to keep at it and just learn from it well one of the things too that you had said early on in your career that you mentioned and i know it still is is core a core principle of yours is just hard work um, it, it takes a lot of hard work to be good, not just in sales, but anything in this business. And sometimes in this industry, people don't want to accept that they need to make that extra phone call. They need to send that extra thank you card or whatever it is. But that often has a big impact on success. Would you agree? Absolutely. I remember in the early days, we used to do seminars three nights a week, three weeks in a row, every single month. We were out every night. You know, you come to work, then you prepare, and then you go to the seminars, you know, give these seminars, and we do them in three different places and and spend tons of money to get people into these seminars. And and then we would offer them the fourth seminar as where they would come in and become clients. And, and that was really very, very hard. I mean, to work that many hours, but... That's what it takes. It definitely takes hard work. It's building that original, you know, that critical mass, that beginning clients where you can start having that base and then you can do more uh, seminars and reviews for your own clients and then you get referrals. But to get started, that's the hardest part. And you have to work hard. And and that's, you know, but if someone tells you you can work this hard and you get these kind of rewards, I mean, I always tell uh, advisors, look how many years doctors go to school mm-hmm. and all those years. And and then they have to do, uh, you know, all this. And they really come out making almost as much as most advisors here make, right. you know, without doing very much. So, uh, you know, it's okay for us to work a little hard. Yeah, exactly. When I, when I met you, Layla, back in 2007, I think it was, um, and spent some time in your office with you and Dryden and your team, which was much smaller at the time. Um, you were already starting to do something that I see as a trait of some of the most successful wealth management firms out there. You were dividing responsibilities in the firm. So you knew what you were best at. Dryden knew what he was good at. Other people on the team knew what the highest and best use of their time was. But um, is this division, and I know your firm has grown dramatically since then in terms of not just assets and you know clients, but also people and professionals on your team. Is this still a, would you say, a, a big component of, of your success? It's a huge component, and it's a huge uh, differentiator of our firm. And it really allows everyone in the firm to do what they do best. And it also freeze up so much time. I remember in 2009 when the market was going down and, you know, and, and so forth, 
I didn't have to worry at all about the investments. I have a whole investment team. They were there doing what every other advisor was hiding under the table because the market was going down. I was out there talking to new clients and my clients, and we brought in more money that year than most other advisors because I already had, when they had questions about the investments, I have separating the investment team, having our own in-house investment team that actually does the actual trades, does the, the selection, does all the investments that clients can talk to is a huge differentiator. It leaves me the time to go out and do the planning and bring in the dollars and put in the plan, let them know how I want the money invested, then send that strategy summary over to the other side. They're in here at 5.30 in the morning because, you know, we're in California and they are executing on the plan. And really, it's a huge, I know, you know, it's more costs because uh, in the beginning, I try to do everything and I can't, right. you know, I try to manage the money. I try to meet with the clients and, you know, yeah, we had a system to do the paperwork, ever, but when you, when you separate the planning and from the actual day-to-day management of the money, it really frees up your time. And it also gives that team, which is headed by Dryden and his team, he's got seven people there. They're there. They report what's going on, you know. We get together and we decide on the big picture, but then they do all the ex- execution. They handle that. And I don't have to worry about that. Mark it down, you know, any other day. I know that they already have a plan. I get reports on it, what they've done, and what they're buying, what they sell, and so forth. So that client calls, I know. I get a report every morning. So I'm aware of everything they do. So I can still talk to the client, but that really frees up my time to just bring in new money and do what I do best which is talk to clients and meet with clients. I pretty much don't do anything else. Yep. And then I also have someone with me at all times in all my meetings so that I don't have to do anything. They take all the notes, they do all the actions. They, and then she has her own team, which she delegates to. Because in order to grow to the size, you know, we manage now close to $2.4 billion of assets. And you can grow that. And I've learned, you know, how do, there's only so many hours in a day. I have a daughter you know, I have right. a personal life that I want to live and I don't want to work those hours like I used to. I paid my dues when we used to do these seminars where we were out every night. I used to have to come in weekends sometime to work and, you know, it's what it takes. I've paid all these dues. Now I get to, uh, you know, there's a structure in place so that I can serve my clients. I have other people that talk to them so they know, you know, the relationship managers and so I get to focus exactly what I do, what I love to do, because also I didn't love doing all these other things. Because if you don't love what you do, if you get bogged down in other things, then you, you, you're not as motivated to come to work and do more. Well, you know, a lot of people are probably listening to this right now and saying, wait a second, you know, I don't have the ability, I don't have the wherewithal to go out and hire a seven-person investment management team or have somebody in my office listening in on the conversation so they can take notes and do the follow-up or what have you. But you didn't have that either. I did you not. Started. So you <laughs> got to start somewhere, right? I mean, right. You, just, you have to realize where your flats are, sides are, exactly. what you're good at, and then start chipping away at it, right? Yeah. But any person can outsource their investments, right? You can do the plan. They can outsource the investment, whether it's in-house or, or somewhere else. And then I think it's a really, really good investment to have somebody else with you. The reason is, you know, that is very good because 
it, it frees up your time. When the client comes in, they meet with me and Emily, who's my assistant. So they, they know they know exactly who they should talk to for what. And most of the time, she can take care of everything. So if there's one investment that I would recommend people who are maybe middle-sized to do is beside someone that does the paperwork and all that, is have someone to shadow you so that you free up your time. And you'll find that that's a really, really good investment in going to the next level of your business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, let, let's talk about where you are and how you, where you are in the country and how you distinguish yourself um, amongst a lot of very successful wealth management firms in your area. So you're in Orange County, California. And for those of the, you that don't know, it sits in between San Diego County and Los Angeles. And there's a massive amount of wealth. I know a lot of the people, a lot of athletes and movie stars who who work in Los Angeles, live in Orange County because it's just it's absolutely beautiful. But with that wealth comes a lot of firms that that cater to that wealth. And what have you all done to distinguish yourselves, Pence Wealth Management, from the competition? Well, it really um, goes back to our messaging, which is you know that we really uh, anybody we talk to, if you go into our website, is that we have a servant's heart. It's not enough to be smart. There's a lot of people who are smart or, and talented, but really caring about the clients. It, it, that is a huge differentiator. You know, uh, whenever I, we have seminars or client events, we talk about that. I know uh, whenever, if someone, you know, is having a birthday, we make sure and send them something. If we have, if, if they're sick, we make sure you, I've gone to actually see my clients, you know, if they were sick and if there's a, um, if the, you know, I, I, last week we went to a funeral to one of my clients, those little, those things there, these clients, you now, you no longer just an advisor right? and you, they become raving fans for you because they really want to, because I always learned one thing, friends refer to friends. They don't fire them. Mm-hmm. Friends refer right. to friends. If you become more friend, if you develop that friendship, if you develop, you know, I, we take clients to events, we take them, you know, baseball, we we take them, we dinner. It's developing that relationship, and once you develop that relationship, it's amazing the kind of other clients they refer to, and it's all about having that servant's heart because obviously you have to, you know, we have very talented, we have great group and they're smart they're educated we have all the basics but most advisors could do that right that you you can do that the differentiator really is beside the fact of course we have our own investment team and and we you know we have that as well but really it's all about the heart and that and going that extra mile i don't think as my my clients do i want to just you know be with them hurry home and never see them again i don't treat them that way i really enjoy them we do a, a lot of client functions we just did a uh, our luncheon we had we had 250 people in person and we had about 200 people on zoom and that was uh, very exciting and and uh, you know they actually invited other people to be on zoom and they brought in friends and that's how you grow the business that's how you differentiate well you were quoted in an article as saying people don't care what you know they want to know that you care and yes. That alone should generate referrals. That alone is your living by that, of course, but they want to know that you care. 
And that's what you just have gone over. And, and, you know, like I said, you know, this sort of relationship and what, what you're talking about seems like a throwaway, but that really does distinguish from you from a lot of other firms in the industry that don't want to spend the time and don't want to show people that they care. It takes time to go to funerals. It takes time to go to hospitals. It takes time to write a note to somebody about their kid's graduation or whatever it is. That's hard work. It's also understanding that those are the components that distinguish yourself. Believe it or not, I still write personal birthday cards to every one of my clients. Wow. They take so, time, especially since you've got a lot larger than you. I have a lot of clients. My assistant brings me the, the sheet, and I write something personalized about them. And I can't tell you how many thank you notes I get, calls about that. I can't remember your yeah, as busy as you are, that you take the time to send me that. And then whenever there's a, a major birthday, I'll send them, you know, small edibles under $100, but I'll send them a little edibles and they get these edibles, you know, with the balloons. And no one does that. You know, people don't, especially the older clients, they really, they're somewhat forgotten. And when you make that touch, and I want to do that. I mean, I get pleasure out of making people happy and, and doing something back. You know, we give so much donations to charity. Why not give back to our own clients and, and really care? I always say people are really good in this business. They must like people. If you don't like people, this is this is a people's business. You know, if, if, you, if you're in this business for money, you're in the wrong business. You have to like people because right. this is a people's business and it's all about caring and about really going that extra mile. And people remember that. Yeah, well, and money's a byproduct of doing that successfully. It, the money will come if you do those things. Exactly. And uh, let, let's, I want to switch to a different topic, and that is a very important one, not talked enough still in this industry, is about diversity. And, you know, you're not only just a very recognized and very successful female advisor, but you're also from a different country and you immigrated to the U.S. and didn't speak English. And there's a lot of walls that you've broken through, Layla. And uh, so, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. D does this issue with not having enough female advisors in this industry have more to do with attracting young fe females to this profession? Or does it have to do more with the lack of support or encouragement they get once they're here. Um, I'd love your thoughts on that. Probably a combination of both. You know, one of the hardest thing is getting a base of client is getting started. And this is one of the things that I, I believe the industry is, is trying to change was basically go into a W2 model because they need, you know, an advisor today to be able to come in like the old days based on fee base or commissions, that's just hard to do. So I think the industry needs to promote more of a W-2 uh, format, which we have done here in my office, where we can give them, we, we have to be able to have staying power. They need to have the time to develop. You can't ask them to come in and work on, you know, especially in the independent channel where, uh, you know, they only make what they what they uh, hunt. They yeah. say, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do. So I think we need to, and I think we need to have more of an atmosphere that um, I think women are amazing in this business. They have more empathy. Like I was saying about caring and all that, they have more empathy. They truly care. And there's a lot more women clients at the end because they outlive men. 
you right. know, one advantage we have. <laughs> so they want to deal with other women. And so I really would love to see more and more women come into this business and and really, and it's also so accommodative. You know, if they, you know, I was able to be in this business, get married, be pregnant, have a child, raise my daughter, and still attend all her events you know, while I still grow my business. And this business allows that for women, which other companies and other jobs don't. So it's a great opportunity. We just need to spread the word out there more and go out there and recruit more and more advisors and provide them with more of the W-2 models to get them to a level where they can uh, be able to produce more on their own. And uh, I know the business tries to do that, but for some reason... I don't see them succeeding as well, but hopefully they'll keep at it. I know we're trying to hire more and more uh, women advisors. Well, I, I think, it, it, like you said, it's a little bit of both. I think there's many females out there. I look at my two daughters, for example, who didn't want to get into this business. And I think they suspected that they couldn't do things. They couldn't raise a family. They couldn't have time to to do things in life that they wanted to enjoy and be successful in this business, a business dominated by by men. And they didn't think any of that, so they just didn't get into that business. Now, if they'd gotten in there and they'd been uh, mentored by somebody that could give them the time, like you said, to develop and have time to you know grow into this business, then they might have stayed. In fact, females want to do work with females quite often, and there's just not enough in the business but secondarily that you can find a firm like Pence Wealth Management where they'll support you in your professional development. That's so important as well. I agree completely. Yeah. Well, Layla, this has been an amazing conversation. Like I said, I've never had a Hall of Fame advisor on the show. I hope I have more. I Here's another thing. I know that I won't have another advisor who was honored by the Egyptian president as one of the top Egyptian-American women to ever succeed. So I think this is a first and probably a last, unless unless you're mentoring a lot of female advisors behind you right now that are from Egypt. If that's the case, then maybe I will see another one down the road. (laughs) I hope someday. Yeah, well, that would be great. Well, it's been great talking to you as always. Great. Congratulations on all the success that you've had and Pence Wealth Management has had. I hope to see you uh, again next year in Barron's and Forbes and all the other all the other publications out there that are recognizing success. And um, and let's let's definitely stay in touch. Thank you so much, Derek. This was wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to to interview me here and have this um, podcast. I hope there's something I said may help somebody out there because, you know, I know there's no original ideas. Everybody learns from somebody else. And uh, I, we're always here to help others as well. Thank you so much. You're doing a great job. From hot dogs to $2.4 billion under management. That's one heck of a story. And I know people will learn from this. So thank you again. Thank you. And thank you for listening to my show today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Have a great day and stay safe.